You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Three, two, one, go. After that hasty restart, welcome to the 3DMs podcast. Um, it's me and Paul because, again, finding a third person to take this damn seat is damn impossible these days. We were supposed to have two other people with us today. But uh, babies and sickness happened. So um, really quick, we're just going to announce that uh, for the next show. Um, we are going to be doing the Great Edition Debate. Got a couple of friends of mine who have uh, long been beholden to the hobby and are uh, – they don't want to get with the times and play fifth edition. And so we are going to sit down in this tiny padded room and we are going to hash out our grievances over Such the editions. Um, but yeah, let's get to what we were going to talk about today. Um, so the game plan for today is we're going to run down alignment and then also how to do an evil campaign. Yeah. And so without further ado, let's talk about that cantankerous old stick that Gygax invented called ye old alignment chart. Yes. Well, I mean, originally, of course, it was just lawful and chaos, but now we have to contend with the other two axes, the morality axis of good versus evil. And to say this is a contentious topic would be um, underselling it a little. Uh, alignment debates are about as old as the hobby itself. Yeah, we're. I, I don't think we're going to really uh, shake open new ground today, but – we do want to discuss ways uh, that it can be used at your table and ways to help you. So this is going to be just like a really quick little love on segment. Um, so I don't know about love on. I don't have many positive feelings about alignment. Yeah, yeah, me neither. Um, so this is going to be a nice little three minute hate on alignment and how we much better like our way to do it. Um, so when it comes to alignment, um, the I guess my biggest problem that I have with alignment is that it's not fluid. Yeah, people don't switch from one alignment to another normally, despite the fact that people change. Yeah, uh, you know, and also too, it's very possible uh, to use real life as an example. Uh, I went from lawful, or I went from neutral good yesterday to uh, lawful evil for a good hour and a half after Michigan lost to Ohio State. And uh, frankly, anybody who got in my way was looking for an ass whooping. Um, I was not friend. I was not nice to be around for about an hour and a half, two hours yesterday after. Uh, that football game, um, but this is about D and D and not sports. Yeah, that's uh. Despite the fact that we had a football banner up for a while, hey, just had to get that one plug in for that show yeah. who came in and messed with all the settings. Yeah. Um, Regardless, I do want to say that um, alignment does bring up a lot of issues with your game world. Namely, older editions specifically had alignment as a sort of tangible thing you could identify and interact with. Detect evil is one of the biggest. Uh, Problems. This is you could tell if somebody was evil or not, and the idea of there being a black and white universal law about who is good and who is evil never really sat well with me. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, for, for things like angels and demons, I can sort of understand. Give us yeah, a primordial forces and yeah, fundamental things. Um, that makes more sense. But yeah, uh, guard, random plucky guard number 36 who has one, uh, one wife, one child. Her name is Kenzie. She's four. She's precious and uh, works for the city guard. Uh, you know, pretty affable chap. You know, goes and gets drunk at the pub every weekend. Uh, you know, but for him to suddenly just be, you know, part of this monolithic evil organization. Because uh, he's taking kickbacks from some mafia or something. You know, yeah, let's, you know, we'll, we'll just do every, you know, the thing that we see on TV every week. You know, oh, yep, dirty cop taking kickbacks from, you know, some criminal organization. Yeah, he's well, evil. Yep, he's evil. So, you know, let's just, you know, orphan a child and, uh, you know, or smack him down, you know, do something terrible to him. But, you know, long story short, we don't know this guy's entire story and, you know, boiling him down to one of nine positions on two different axes of three is a bit ridiculous. Yeah. So, um, meanwhile, the guy that you were helping to might have just, you know, I don't know, also been a prick. (laughs) Thank you. You saved my bookstore. Now I can get back to spreading all my hatred about elves. You're a racist. Yep. I'm an elf hater. Ah, uh, pink is neutral, good motherfucker. Yeah, but because yeah, because I'm a tidy, nice, uh, old book, old bookstore keeper. Uh, I ping is neutral, good. Uh, despite my deep and unsettling racism of elves, because it's acceptable in this part of the country. I mean, after all, dwarves have a racial power based around being especially racist. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Like that's a thing. That's canonically true. I know. Oh, uh, it's delightful. Um, so. Here's what I actually like to use with the alignment chart system because it's – I find just bringing it into play is annoying. There's also nothing that is going to piss me off quicker than my players arguing and then suddenly throwing out uh, – But it's what my alignment would have me do. Yeah, I'm chaotic neutral, so therefore I must act in the chaotic neutral box. Excuse me. Um so what I recommend for this, just to other DMs who, you know, might have the same problem of a player, you know, really digging in their heels and sticking to their guns of, well, this is my alignment. So this is what my alignment says I should be doing. Um, I offer that we leave the alignment blank if they feel it really helps them, because I have had players be like, well, I kind of like to know like where my character is at. Um, I usually offer them like, uh, well, you're trending towards this, but I never specifically stick a player like unless they are literally being the comic, like a comical textbook definition of something like, you know, lawful evil or lawful good or, you know, chaotic neutral. Like, Dick dastardly stopping to cheat even though he's winning. Yeah. Um, you know, unless they're like comic book representation, like over the top, perfect dead on of an alignment. I usually just try to keep them, you know, like you're kind of covering this part of the grid if it really helps your role play. Because, um, yeah, because as far as that goes, I mean, especially in this edition, alignment really does not add much to the table other than this be lawful good. This be, you know, chaotic good. Guys, we got to burn down the orphanage if we're going to save everybody. Move a step towards evil. Regardless, it's thankfully now disentangled from the rules. I'm pretty sure 4th edition did something similar. But people also got in a, a bit of a a tussle when they noticed that the alignment grid had been reduced to five steps instead of nine. So we're not going to talk too long about that. Yeah. Um, it's nice that it has almost no mechanical effect anymore. All right? All right. Yep. Let's leave it at that. And, uh, you know, I, it, it's one of those things. Like, I don't think it's ever going to go away, much like the D20, because it's too... Just kind of ingrained in the game, but it's something you can definitely get around 
not having to use. Yeah, my father told me back in the day he and his uh his players used to play using three d six instead of one d twenty, which I thought was kind of cool, if a bit um finicky. Yeah. But no, d twenty is here to stay. So let's actually talk about the fun stuff we wanted to talk about today, though. Um, and let's that talk is, about the meat of our topic. Yeah, because yeah, we need to lead in with alignment um, before. Uh, we get to what we were really wanting to cover today, and that is villainous campaigns, um, which are outrageously fun to DM and outrageously fun for the players. Uh, but it has to be handled with a lot of cautions because here's here's like the initial problem with here's running our disclaimer. Yeah, here's the initial problem with running the villain game and why you need to be very careful when you do it. Uh, problem number one: uh, these game like usually when people play bad guys, they. Uh, Ooh, Alan, we will get to your thing in one moment because this actually segues into what we're doing. Um, back to my little spiel. So problem number one about uh, running an evil game that you just need to be like wary of is that uh, it does make a fight out of nowhere. Uh, players will immediately... Uh, Players will immediately like start gravitating towards either doing certain actions against the party or themselves is what uh, fits in with their view of evil. Oh, yeah. So, people are going to backstab each other. Yes. Yeah, you're going to see. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of shenanigans that you got to look out for. Um, you're going to have. Um, you're going to potentially learn some truths about some friends of yours that you weren't exactly ready to learn. It's much um, like Mario Kart in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is kind of like a Mario. Like you really can see the inside of somebody's. Uh, inner workings so. when you find out what uh, they find evil. Uh, and the other thing you got to look out for is uh, it can very quickly turn into um, a player against player scenario. And if you aren't able to hang with those punches, it can become a very, very messy brawl. Yeah. Brawl pretty much where, um, you know, players are getting hit, heated at each other and, you know, this can stem over to in real life arguments because I've seen it happen a couple of times uh, in villain games. But with all that being said, a villain game is a fantastic little vacation for uh, any DM and his regular running group to kind of do. Um, there's a bunch of reasons you might want to do a villain game. I've done it just as kind of a, hey, you guys have been you know saving the world now for the last year. Why don't we take two months off and have you guys be bastards, which was a great little palate cleanser for my players that kind of you know, got to run around as alternate versions of themselves, you know, evil versions of characters that they were kind of used to and just, you know, wreck shop. Um, another practical use that a villain game has is you can set up either future villains for yourself, uh, you know, to be used later in the game. You can set up a primary plot um, that you want to use in your next campaign. Like, for example, uh, the, you know, some necklace of great importance and magical power being stolen or also. Uh, you know, the old Bowser kidnapping Peach thing, you know, taking a noble and destabilizing an entire region. You can sow all those seeds uh, for your next campaign to deal with. And you can let your players be a part of the action, which they kind of enjoy. You know, most of them really enjoy doing getting to be the bad guy and then later having to deal with their own bullshit um, is always a fun, and unique challenge. So let's start at the beginning with how you're going to run a villain game. Um, first. Sit everyone down and figure out what people's boundaries are. And again, this is a disclaimer thing. Uh, obviously, every table is different from others, but most players, if I'm going to make a generalization, are not going to be very uh, 
uh, on board with graphic descriptions of beating and raping prisoners. So just get these things out of the way and talk about them before somebody gets grossed out because somebody's displaying one of their deep fetishes for the party to see now. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Um, yeah, it's a pretty important conversation to have early on. Um, you also want to try to sit down and have a very open conversation about the tone that you're trying to set because, you know, doing evil stuff um, brings forth like fun. Evil is different things to different people. Uh, you know, for some people being like snidely whiplash, you know, twisting the mustache and, you know, leaving the girl tied up on the train tracks like Saturday morning cartoon evil. That's all they want to do. They want to do ridiculously overcomplicated plans. Uh, something about. Uh, turning all the gold into mice and then luring them to the giant pile of cheese in the center of town and then turning them back into gold. Yeah, uh, it's a good way. It's a uh, clearly practical way to get all the money in the town. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and doing outrageous shenanigans. And if that's their idea of evil, then, you know, hey, it's a lot of fun. If they want to do more Game of Thrones evil where it's manipulating people from behind the scenes, manipulating people from behind the scenes and uh you know, occasional uh, things that could be considered uh, morally abject, uh, then you need to have that conversation with your players and you need to make sure everybody's comfortable with what we're doing because we don't need somebody being like, I did not sign up for this shit, you know, and having a, you know, basically realizing they come, they came to the wrong rodeo. Uh, so yeah, I've been there. <laughs> So let's go into how you practically run this. So, but before that, oh, do you mind if we answer Alan's question, which we said we were going to get yes. back to? Yes. Um, I was actually going to slide into that smoothly with right, this well. bit. Um, character creation. The ye old staple of uh, starting any game. You get that fresh blank character sheet and you sit down. And so when you sit down with an evil party this time, instead of them being um, – nice good doers um i highly recommend starting at anywhere from level three to level five um also doing an evil game is a really fun way to uh you can start at like level 10 or even higher if you really want to because it does make sense that since these people are going to be villains and they're usually doing something that is earth movingly important um either Stealing something or, again, an assassination or whatever plot you have in mind. Some dastardly scheme. Yeah. Uh, these are going to be some people who actually have the means, the capabilities, and are going to be able to do this thing without much training. Um, villain games, villainous campaigns usually don't have a lot of steam. And it's fun to be Snidely Whiplash for a while. But eventually, I mean – Let's be honest. Most villain characters don't have a lot of character growth they can go through. I mean you can do it. It's just not going to be as interesting as the hero's journey. Yeah. Um, so what's going to – when you're when it comes to character creation, try to figure out how powerful you want them to be because part of – the other part of being evil that's fun is again that there is a bit of a power fantasy element to it. You know, People are getting to be incredibly powerful jerkwads and they get to be uh you know variants of characters they normally don't get to experiment with themselves uh for example um and this is where i'm going to get to alan's comment so back in three five when you used to have to be neutral to be a monk or you had to be, be lawful to be a monk oh that's right you gotta be lawful it was to be neutral a... for druids that's right neutral for druids lawful for monks chaotic for barbarians and 
uh, non-lawful for bards and lawful good for paladins and so on and so forth. Jeez, yeah, that's really gross when you just say it all. Um, I'm happily glad that has gone away in 3.5, or uh, I mean in 5e from 3.5. We don't need that anymore, and it allows you to do very interesting multi-classes now that um, can give you a... You can play an evil paladin without needing a prestige class. Yeah, or, you know, having to go through the arduous process of, well, I'm a blackguard now. Let me just cash in all them paladin levels I was sitting on. <laughs> and then once you've had enough of being evil, you just hang on. Uh, I need to cash those back into paladin bonds again. Um, but, Jake, once you stop taking paladin levels, you can't start taking them again. No. God damn it. I hate 3-5. <laughs> um, <laughs> Christmas. Uh Okay. When it comes down to making characters for this evil game, uh, you know, remind them of, you know, let them play whatever they want to play, but then they allow should... them to experiment with uh, their ideas of evil. I mean, we're all used to seeing druids as, you know, kick-ass, you know, druids. Nature wizards. You know, nature wizards. Um, you know, and even the more aggressive druids can be, you know, described lightly as eco-terrorists. Uh, but in an evil campaign... You can uh, definitely flex and see a lot of, like, really horrific and gnarly shit that a druid can use. There's a bunch of different classes, like... Uh, I made an owlbear because I'm evil. You know, bards and their uh, already predisposed notions of being a bit of a douche. Uh, that gets ramped up to 9,000. Um, evil paladins are always fun because there's nothing quite like being the one guy that everybody expects to be there to help them. And then there's like, Oh wait, why is his armor black? Why are his eyes glowing? And why does he have spikes everywhere? Oh, this ain't going to end well. Um, you can, I'm here to burn down your puppy orphanage. You can do a lot of subverting of typical tropes. Uh, and while everybody's making their characters, just have that discussion with them and try to get as much of a deep backstory as you can. Um, it's kind of the opposite from normal character creation where it's like, yeah, let's just go with these light notes and then we can expand on your character as we go. Um, in the beginning with vil evil villain characters, like we kind of need the biography. Yes. You need to know where they – who they are, where they came from and why they're you know burning down puppy orphanages. Yeah. You know, is it just for the money? Um, you know, and they don't have much of a moral co uh, compass that, you know, guides and directs them. Um, do they – Oh, were they just born bad like uh, your boy Michael Myers? Uh, you know, do they think they're doing the right thing? You know, this is actually a very important discussion to have with them because, uh, again, with your villains, like when everybody's ultimately banding together to do the good thing, sure, there's going to be, you know, the arguments like there's the classic, you know. How much are we getting paid to save the world? Yeah. The world's where I keep all my stuff. Yeah. There's the classic, you know, leader, lancer kind of dichotomy, you know. And, Back and forth and barking, but ultimately, usually everybody comes under the same same umbrella, eh, same umbrella to work together. In an evil campaign, that umbrella is conveniently picked up by the fucking wind and thrown all the way down the goddamn beach because they're evil and getting them to play nice with each other is going to be difficult. So the good news is you don't have to make them play nice with each other for very long. So with character creation. I do want to say also – sorry for interrupting, but uh, especially for character creation, this is something I recommend all the time normally. But especially for character creation, you want your players to create their characters together because you don't have a sort of unifying purpose usually for them to stick together. So bonds of 
friendship or at least rivalry should be keeping them in the same area for at least the opening bit while they're deciding what their super villain team name is and what their themes are. Yes. And when the costumes will be done. Yep. Um, that leads us on to part two of creation. Uh, and this one is completely optional. I've done it both ways and I've had success with a villainous party without and with, and that is usually an overseeing force. Um, the evil overlord, if you will. Yes. The, person who has either put together this crack team for this robbery or the person who is um, keeping them on retainer because they are a useful group uh, useful group of money grubbing assholes uh, that you know he likes to keep around because he can pay them murder hobos who take joy in the name um, yeah so recommendations for obviously you know it's any strong monster or thing like it, it would make sense that a lich would be pulling some strings because you know he might be able to channel the arcane and profane and uh unclean ways but frankly he's only got there's only 24 hours in a day he can only do so much he's got to pay people to do some shit yeah um like his laundry yeah he doesn't wear clothes anymore but you know whatever yeah um same thing with dragons uh dragons make fantastic overseeing because uh the second anybody gets lippy you can casually and gently remind them that they are now talking shit to a fucking dragon um which usually clears up any confusion about orders uh if you want to try to get the if you want to try to keep them to, together it's it's not not a bad idea to have a big controlling force but it can also create problems um it does also diffuse the threat slash enjoyment of everyone immediately falling apart and backstabbing each other as quickly as possible yeah we'll get to that part though so um the next bit you've you know you got your plot Everybody sat down. You've gotten everybody worked out and, you know, in a way. So at least the betrayals won't start immediately because it does happen a lot in villainous games. Um, usually, again, since this is a much higher power system, you know, I usually they get some cool loot to start with, um, you know, where a big part of the hero's journey and the hero's story is like, you know, Finding cool artifacts and, you know, getting more powers and gaining more cool stuff and getting a place to put all their cool stuff, uh, you know, giving them like a secret lair, um, giving them magic items they already have and basically just establishing the establishing these villains um, as fully fleshed out badasses is a pretty healthy thing to do. Um, it's going to, again, allow the players to feel much more powerful and like they're able to walk around and basically do whatever they want. Um, and that's what you're trying to establish here, you know, as for them as villains, for them to have fun is they kind of need to be able to go around and do what they want without consequence or with threat of consequence with the threat of that consequence being, uh, delayed, delayed or, you know, farther away. I mean, obviously like let's, you know, off the top of my head, let's say somebody has got a serial killer rogue because, uh, he was the one guy who missed the memo that this was going to be cheeky and fun Saturday morning cartoon villainy and not um, he's playing Dexter. Uh, you know, once the bodies start piling up, you know, and stuff and, you know, sure, you can have some fun with him. You know, yeah, I do some lurky serial killer stuff. After all, it's going to make a great villain, you know, when uh, the party has to come through the city next time. And, you know, the, you know, the whatever the neat serial killer name you want to give him is still on the loose. Slice the night hunter. Sorry, that was bad. Eh, it was worth a shot. Uh, you have now established at this point, um, you know, that, okay, he's doing some serial murderings. 
It's going to happen to the players in your next game. It's going to happen to your players in the next game, but then you're also going to have guards looking around. There's going to be, you know, a wide and public panic. It's great for world building just to include some uh, darker elements. And it also, again, gives your players just that warm, little fuzzy, rich feeling inside that they help create something in your world, even if it's a horrible monster, serial murderer. Now, one of them's getting strangled from a rooftop. They'll be less happy about it, of course, but you know. Um, We'll save Noose Man Scourge the Next for another day. Yeah. (laughs) That's who it should be. So when it comes to giving your players, you know, give them a layer, give them a bunch of stuff because feeling powerful and having control is integral integral to making a villain campaign work. Uh, Next up on the villain shop list. Um, and this is where things kind of get – this is more esoteric and just kind of, you know, it's – because after all, it's your game. It's not my game. It's however you want to do it. But at some point, you need to get them all out in the field and they have to be working on their goal. What's great about the villain uh, thing is you can kind of um, – you can just reactionary DM, which can actually be a lot of fun. Um, I wouldn't call it improving, but I would just be like, okay, you guys are all these evil guy, uh, evil guys. Here's – you know, let's here's say your objective. How here's you your objective. It? How are you going to do it? I'm going to step outside for an hour. You guys discuss what your plan is and what you're going to do. You know, give them their resources, give them their time and figure out what they want to go forth and set forth doing. And that can be a lot of fun for both the players and the DM. Um, because. Well, for one, it means yeah. that you don't have to walk them through everything they're doing. They're going to come up with some ridiculous shenanigan plan, and you're going to react to it. Yeah, and you get to react to it. And it's just a – it's a nice little vacation. And you can also, again, come up with consequences and um, negative effects uh, as they go. So the next bit about running an evil game that is kind of integral uh, – is when the betrayals do start happening, and I mean, this is probably going to be where our long-form discussion begins. Uh, once the players start turning on each other. Just don't. I mean, in most games, you'd come up with a contrived excuse for them to get along, but don't. And let's explain that. So, obviously, when you got them working together, um, there's two things you got to balance. You've got to balance, you know, obviously, the in-game story and trying to, you know, as... Every DM will tell you at some point their story just takes a kick to the face that they were not expecting. Um, with an evil campaign, a lot of that pretense for them, like still needing to work together and spend time together, is gone. And people can and will betray each other. It's inevitable. I've ran. You're playing about, criminals and jerks. Yeah, I've ran about seven or eight evil games, and every single time. <laughs> Uh, there is at least one betrayal. And the most rewarding thing that you can do in this moment is you need to sit back. You need to be as fair and impartial a referee as you can. If, um, you know, much like Game of Thrones style, if somebody just walked through the garden of betrayals and did not see it coming and fell into a very well executed plan or trap by the other player, then you need to let that happen. Obviously, we need to sit there and we need to make sure that A, no one's feeling, you know, like no real problem is call, is caused at your table. No feelings are hurt. Um, you know, everybody at the end of the day to say, wow, that was that was fun. That was fun. I mean, sucks that my character's dead, but, you know, good on you. 
Um, I mean, a good evil campaign should end with at least half the characters dead, honestly. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. Um, in those situations, it is, again, as I've already stressed, your primary job and duty is to be a impartial referee, impartial referee and just, you know, keep the initiative going and make sure that uh, everybody's everybody's not trying to pull a fast one or some shenanigans with rules. Um Keep it nice, keep it tidy, and keep them unified. Keep the Thunderdome going. Yep, keep the Thunderdome going and let them just, uh, you know, butcher them each other. Remember, you're your own worst enemy. That's especially true when all five or six of you are jerks who hate each other. Yeah. Next part about running a villain campaign. The antagonist. Um, having antagonists as the... Uh, yeah, making an antagonist for a villain-sided campaign can be a lot of fun. As a DM, you get to flex muscles you normally don't get to use or are only used in your NPC creation where you're making, you know, maybe another helpful or good aligned person yeah. for them. But what I love about the antagonist in a villain campaign is you can actually make either like a salt-of-the-earth paladin or uh, you can make, uh, you know, really any – like just good aligned character you want. And there are various different ways that you can use them against your players in like a very satisfying way. That is uh, like a good example of an antagonist for a villainous party. Like if you were to frame um, a certain narrative from one side would be Obi-Wan Kenobi. If we look at, you know, we'll use a quick star Wars thing. If we look at uh, Obi-Wan as the antagonist and Anakin as the hero of his own story, um, Obi-Wan makes a hell of a great villain who is likable. Um, really much good more at, likable than the protagonist, much more likable than the protagonist. Um, really good at chopping legs off, uh, <laughs> and leaving his friends to die in a rocky wasteland. Well, he did, uh, he did deserve it. He did kind of deserve it. Um, but you can flex, uh, you know, a character that is not this, you know, just kind of monolithic being mustache twirling. Yeah. You can actually use like a well-developed person who can come back around again in your setting in the future or can be future, uh, you know, might be the martyr that, you know, kicks off what the party in the future campaign, you know, is striving to achieve. Um, ultimately making your antagonist, somebody who is both compelling um, and, in a way somebody that even the party can be like you know objectively i would like to see that guy win even though we are the bastards um is really what you're going for because that can make some interesting things happen yeah i believe we're going to also talk very briefly about um how to i mean obviously people know how to create villains of uh the three evil alignments but when you're running a villain campaign you get to flex your muscles with the villains of the other six alignment types and obviously you've got the, the good old boy salt of the earth cop for the paladin. Yep. Lawful, and lawful good. good. But you could also have a paladin who's gone full fundamentalist and decided that you aren't following the strictures correctly and thus you must die. You Stick c- up his butt paladin. Yeah. Um, and so on and so forth. You can use neutral good as helping people you don't want to be helped for some reason or another. It would be a good example for a neutral good paladin. Uh, ne- not paladin. Neutral good villain. 
And chaotic good, of course, is if you're the evil overlords of the robber baron's town and somebody's stealing all of your money on the roads just because you're taxing people too much, it's pretty villainous. Yeah, Robin Hood actually does make a uh, pain in the ass slash annoying uh, antagonist for a villainous group. I used a Robin Hood uh, esque, yeah, archetype, you know, character. It was Robin Hood. He had a damn bow and he was taking money and giving it to the poor. I should point out, of course, that Robin Hood also managed to maintain a big camp in the middle of the woods and a huge entourage. So clearly he's not giving all that money to the poor. Hmm. Hey, man, you got to treat yourself. You got to ball out on yourself a little bit every now and again. Um, it trickles down. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but it does make for compelling uh, stuff for you to do as a DM and stuff you can do that you're not really – you normally get to do. I always treat my villain games like it's a vacation. You know, I get to go away from like, you know, working on, you know, the normal same old, you know, villain stuff and like my normal preparation and stuff. And it, everything kind of turns around. Cool. Well, I get to, you know, actually make the hero of this story. And then I get to watch as four or five or six of my friends beat the shit out of that hero. Uh, I did have one get uh, drawn and quartered. Eesh. Yeah, that was uh, rough. Mm. The church was not happy about that. Um, it, you can ultimately just do a lot in this initial setup uh, just by subverting tropes and getting to play with stuff that you normally don't get to play with. Um, another very fun thing to do, and this is just kind of um, – you can do this in a normal game too, but there is definitely a very fun element to doing an anti-party. Um, you know, the awkward uh, – mustache wearing mirror opposites of the party uh and there's also a lot of room for various other like groups that can chase them down um villains so when the party is playing villains everything's all fun and hunky-dory and burning villages and uh stealing the money and stuff uh that all can go quickly out the window and you can actually put a little bit of fear into them by i don't know a roaming pack of paladins <laughs> There's what it's the crime buster squad. Pretty much, you know, fifteen paladins roll up on horses, you know, and uh, spout off some really badass shit about how they're here to quench your evil. Then, um, then you pull the lava switch. And that's when you pull the lava switch and you leg it knees to chest quickly. Um, ultimately, you find yourself uh, with just a very brand new experience for you and your players. Um, and let's get to the – I guess we'll transition to the last bit. I think it's going to be a pretty short show today. Um, Works for me. Unfortunately, we, again, had to do this preparation in a rush. But Well, that, that'll teach us for putting all of our eggs in the uh, – having people on to do a debate basket. Last little bit about running an evil campaign. Um, it's going to run out of steam very quick. Yeah. I mean there's not much you can do and I actually do want to talk briefly about this in particular. I mean – some other games have done this in a more, I guess, compelling way than Dungeons & Dragons does evil games. I would recommend looking to Black Crusade, which has a lot of very sort of late game ideas for evil parties where you're sort of building up power and building up power until you can eventually be the biggest, baddest bastard in the entire universe. Um, but you, it, it's hard to keep a group of evil characters together except by force unless they have something specifically tying them together. Yeah. Um, Suicide Squad is a great example in fiction of the only reason these bastards work together is uh, the bomb collar. Although I also highly recommend don't bomb collar your players that uh, 
They will find a way to use it and you will be sad. And yeah, and also they usually just don't like that. Um, but the, you know, the classic assembly of overlord villain and then, you know, people directly under him, uh, usually works pretty well in keeping them on the same truck. But you're going to find that once everybody, you know, has kind of gotten the, the jerk behavior out of their systems. Yeah. The, uh, you know, just, <laughs> Yeah, that, some of that pent-up aggression, you know, the burning down of houses, uh, you know, the burning the orphanage, uh, raising the countryside, salting the earth, all that nonsense. Uh, you know, they're just going to be like, yeah. I think I've had enough. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had about enough. So try to plan something they can do in about seven or eight sessions at the most. Yeah, and if possible, make sure they can get revenge on whatever's forcing them to work together. Yeah. Because nothing – irritates players more than being forced to do something and not having a way to revenge themselves on it. Yeah. A um, couple other notes. Um, there's also some great cues you can take from a couple other systems we were talking about. Um, Rattle them off Forest Ball. Well, off the top of my head, um, Exalted Second Edition's Infernals has a system where your players are rewarded by replenishing their resources when they do evil, stupid, like supervillain stuff. Like one of them is uh, explain your dastardly plan to somebody who's tied up, try to kill somebody with an elaborate death trap, force somebody to marry you. Y- you know, the works. <laughs> Villain shit. Um, the other, of course, is Black Crusade where you're rewarded by your god for doing stupid evil stuff. Like never backing down from a fight, poisoning an entire village full of people and so on and so forth. And it's a good way if you're going to make a long-term game uh, to have some sort of way of rewarding your players for doing the specific kinds of evil actions you're looking for rather than blackmailing Congress into passing a bill that uh, poisons the oceans. You'd want to entice them to create a moon laser that will destroy the moon unless they pay you a billion dollars. So entice them by rewarding them when they build a moon laser. Okay? It's not that complicated. I just want I just want sharks with laser beams attached to their Freaking heads. Freaking laser beams attached to their heads. Uh, let's see. Final notes on villains. You got any final thoughts? I mean, we've already done villains before, but I think... Villainous campaign. <laughs> Sorry. I think we've kind of covered it. I mean, I'm not actually a huge, like, experienced member of the villain campaign running person kind of guy. Uh, the only villain campaigns I've really run is Shadowrun, and usually the people you're working for end up being bigger jerks than you. Yeah. So that's about it. Um, for me, uh, just like a couple of final last notes on the subject. Again, I highly recommend to use it as a – it's a great world-building tool, um, and it really allows your players, especially if your players, you know, like come up with – uh, very specific character styles uh, and character archetypes and you can just kind of like put those out in the world and if they survive and they're going to linger in the campaign setting then they can actually create uh, you know a great mythos that random serial killer we were just talking about earlier that's off the top of the head well um, that dude was never caught and that's the reason Noose there's man's still out there you know and there's still a nine o'clock curfew <laughs> because uh the guard could never catch him and the guard could never really stop him. So uh, just keep everybody inside at night. Have your players be attacked by a noose man. Suddenly one of them is being hurled up to the sides of the roof by their neck and they're being strangled and asked questions. Yep. Jeez. Um, it's a fantastic, you know, so look at it as a way to, you know, build the world, uh, change 
you know, get different sides of plot, uh, introduce characters that you're going to see again later. Um, for example, the guard captain who might be opposing this uh, band of bastards, uh, you know, can be a very different character than the one that the future player characters will meet uh, due to his experiences fighting, uh, you know, basically a bunch of bastards. It gives a great way to, you know, once you've tie your players into the world. Yeah, tie your players back into the world and also gives them a way to kind of witness their actions and see causation and effect and have a strange sense of pride in knowing that maybe they, you know, broke that old guard captain and, uh, you know, they had this that effect and that effect on the world. And ultimately, that's what you're looking for as a DM is, you know. It's your world. Your players get to play in it, shape it, change it, and at the end of the at the end of the day, everybody gets to sit down, have a beer, and tell cool stories about stuff that's happened in their settings. With that, uh, we are the Three DMs Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, anywhere you can find podcasts. We are on SoundCloud. Um, please follow us on Facebook. That is three DMS podcast at uh, facebook.com slash three DMS podcast spelled T H R E E D M S podcast. All one word, three DMS podcast. Follow us on Twitter, three underscore DMS underscore pod. Uh, I'm getting, I'm getting better at tweeting. I'm trying. Um, and apart from that, I think that's it. I think that's our show. Uh, thanks for coming this week, guys. And the plan is next uh, next show we're going to do the great addition debate. So if you have any uh, specific bits you would like to hear us bring up uh, about, uh, uh, particularly we're going to talk about uh, 3.5 Pathfinder. And then I think we're all just going to sit down and say some very nice things about 4th Edition because we're – Really ain't got nobody who's going to defend it unless Paul fucking like tears his shirt off at the last <laughs> second. By God, they're pay- they're playing fourth edition's music. <laughs> Whose music is that? <laughs> uh, uh, but thanks for coming, everyone. All right, uh, have a good week, and we'll uh, we'll see everybody in a couple of weeks. Bye bye. <laughs>